Good morning! This is Michael Albright from Down In Front, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Good morning! Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for May 23rd, 2023. I'm Steve Foder. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Today, Chip, today is an important day in history. It is the 143rd day of 2023. 143? That sounds like that should be a very important day. Yes, the numerology kicks in, and 143 is an important number in the life of Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers expressed his love through those numbers because the number one, four, and three are the number of letters in I love you. See, there's a demographic who has no idea who Mr. Rogers is. I know. I know. Young people today, young people today don't understand what TV was like in the late 60s, early 70s, all the way through the 1980s, where we had these people on TV that we admired. I admire the heck out of the work of Fred Rogers, being able to teach kids around the world through the magic of television, and he is being celebrated today in Pennsylvania. It is one four three day. So Fred Rogers basically was a, a a children's television host who created a way to speak to children one on one through the television screen. He had a very strong feeling on how children should receive information. Mm-hmm. He did a number of things during his life. At one time, back a long time ago, people of different skin color were said not to be able to share the same pool. What does he have? He has a person show up who is of a different skin color, mm-hmm. and they all get in the pool together. He had a, a child write him that he was uh, that she was blind and, and was concerned that the fish were not being fed. So he always announced, "I'm feeding the fish." Yeah, certainly a very thoughtful, thoughtful person. And when 9-11 happened, when many of these young people may not even have been born at that time, mm-hmm. um, he was the person who came on and said, um, when times of stress happen, always look for the helpers. Mm-hmm. Always try to be that helper. That is something that I live my life thinking about those lessons from Fred Rogers. And, and today I really appreciate all of the lessons of 143. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, sir, saw a movie called Robots. Uh, Robots, Steve. Robots. This is definitely not the animated children's movie, Robots. This is a a different kind of story. No, this is a movie that was released last week. Um, And it stars uh, Shalene Woodley. And many of you would know her from uh, Divergent. Or the fault in our stars. Okay. So, so she is an actress, and Jake uh, Whitehall, and he is an actor who has got a British accent, good-looking guy. Okay. So we have uh, two actors. This is a romantic comedy. It's got a little sci-fi to it in the sense that you could order a robot that looks just like you. And uh, they took it to the lowest common denominator, Steve. 
they um, had it replace them at work. Well, that's what you would do, right? You remember the movie, The Surrogates, where there was a, a robot that looked just like you, and that's exactly what it did, was went out and did your life for you, went to work for you while you sat at home in a life of leisure. So that's what they do here. And this is based on the short story, uh, Robert Sheckley's The Robot Who Looked Like Me. And uh, yeah, there's there's some charming parts. Obviously, what's going to happen at the end of a romantic comedy, the two humans are going to get together, Steve. Of course they are. It's a love story. These are movies that used to play at the movie theater. But since Netflix and HBO Max and all those other uh, streaming platforms came around, they tend to get gobbled up. They're not high-budget type of uh, programs. They are strictly go to the movies and have a pleasant time. This is never going to be something that will change your life. It's 50 out of a hundred. It's okay. You'll enjoy it. There'll be people who are happy. It is entertaining, but just, you know, not, not anything that's going to change your life. A little bit cringy from the trailer written and directed by Anthony Hines, who you might know as the writer and director of Borat. So there's uh there's, there's a little bit of uh, cringeworthy comedy in this one, too. What do you mean by cringeworthy? Oh, boy. Uh, the uh, sexual situations that the robots get into and the silly slapstick way that the that the humans interact with the robots here. Okay. Um, the robots evolve in this. Oh, in this. So that's part of the story. Uh, I don't think there's much that's cringeworthy okay. um, there is some humor uh certainly i wouldn't recommend this for a, an eight-year-old but uh you know a, a teenager who's 15 i'm sure is fine with pretty much anything on, uh, in there book it 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 Brings us to our book at our book of the week. It is that time of year, Chip. It is Geek Pride Day this week. So as usual, on Too Much Scrolling, I bring you either a Douglas Adams celebrating uh, Towel Day or a Terry Pratchett celebrating the glorious 25th of May or a Star Wars book celebrating the premiere of the movie Star Wars on May 25th, 1977. This year, I've gone with a Douglas Adams title, a book that I've never read until this week. The book is The Salmon of Doubt, and it was released in 2002. Yes, The Salmon of Doubt, which is posthumously published after Douglas Adams' unfortunate death in 2001. And, and there's a lot to unpack about a posthumous collection. This is not a novel. This is not a single story. This is a collection of unpublished material that the the people around Douglas Adams found on his four computers and culled together into a real wonderful memorial to the man that was Douglas Adams. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, in, in the past, before computers, you know, unless they picked up a collection of letters or something like that, maybe you've written, there may not have been this information. Mm -hmm. So having a hard drive 
means that maybe any writing exercise or anything like that, you could go through and potentially pick up some gems. And it looks like this is what this book was. This is full of gems for sure. Douglas Adams was a computer user. He enjoyed thinking about how computers were changing the lives of the people in the end of the 20th century and how thinking changed as a result of having that silicon that made that computer work. In fact, one of the sections in the Salmon of Doubt is how he talks about the four ages of sand, how sand made into glass became lenses that let us look out into the cosmos with telescopes, how sand was then used as silicon and used to make computing devices. And he talks so eloquently here about how computers at the beginning were nothing more than glorified calculators, just a desk calculator, and how that has evolved so much in 2001 when he passed away, and even more so since then. He talks about the idea of artificial intelligence, how maybe we will get to a point where we can use AI. And I, and I hear his voice in this talking about where we're at today in 2023. What I think he missed, though, was that sand can be used a way of seduction too, Steve. You know, sand, yeah, it's coarse, it's hard, it gets everywhere, Steve. I hate sand. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> this opens with a foreword from Stephen Fry, who was a, a good friend of Douglas Adams and became the voice of the book in the movie version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he very emotionally states how we understand the world better through the lens that was Douglas Adams, that Douglas Adams was such a great philosopher, a thinker that took the ideas of life, the universe and everything and made them something that we could understand using a very comic, very silly style of writing. One of my favorite parts of that forward is how he explains that the fans of Douglas Adams really feel that he was writing only for us, that he knows that this comic style is only going to work for a certain group of people. I know when I'm reading Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett that Chip doesn't like that style. He doesn't enjoy the, the philosophy put that way. Stephen Fry in the foreword says, it's like, it's like your best friend not enjoying the same things as you. And that's okay. It's a secret little joy that you can't share with anybody else. But at the same time, Douglas Adams can be shared with other people, only certain people. Steve, tell us a little bit about some of the writings that uh, captured you best and would they have been expanded if he would continue to live? Oh, boy. Some of these words in these writings could have been marvelous, could have been marvelous, amazing books, could have been movies, could have been series. The wit and wisdom of his writing is something that I, I wish that I had the power to create words the way that Douglas Adams did. It, one of the quotes from this work that 
I didn't know was from this work. I've just always quoted Douglas Adams. He was a notorious procrastinator. He was renowned for not being able to get his work done at the right time. And his quote, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise that they make as they go by is one of the quotes from this collection of writing. I I knew that quote. I knew that Douglas Adams said that, but this is the time when it got published. And that surprised me when I found that. And so this is where that quote came from. Yeah. yeah. How interesting. How would they know that with, oh, I'm sorry, from 2002. It's been in the in the uh, public sphere for a, number of to, uh, for a number of years. I got you there. There's just a pure artistic playfulness to his writing. The way that he takes an idea, a simple human idea, and makes it fun and comedic is, is special. Are these writing exercises like i'm warming up or are these eventually to be put together in a longer form narrative that would have been a book i mean are they like partial books or what what are these a lot of what we have in this book is a collection of writings that were put into magazines. So the the era of magazine writers and that back page Douglas Adams wrote the back page in Macworld magazine for a long time. He was an avid Macintosh user and was able to explain computer science in a really creative way with his particular brand of comedic writing. A lot of other articles appeared in other publications over the years from Douglas Adams because he was just able to to break it down simply for us and thinking about these big ideas of life, the universe, and everything in simple terms. Okay. Has anybody ever taken all of his columns and, and combined them into a book? Other than this, I'm not aware of any other collection of all of his writings. I think that it would be a very large collection. He was a very prolific writer. And with the advent of the World Wide Web, we can find so much of his writing available. And he actually has a, an article about that in this book where he talks about how the magazine industry for which he was writing might be in great danger with the advent of the World Wide Web. The idea of a publication of a magazine of a certain idea, it might be a thing of the past. Sure. Certainly, um, some of the writings talk about ideas. Tell us the parable of the puddle. Yeah, this is maybe my favorite part of this book. He, he talks about how we feel like we fit in the world that maybe maybe we get the idea that we are the main character in our own story sometimes it just seems so natural that everything revolves around us that narcissistic idea that we are the main character steve are you the luke skywalker or are you the obi-wan well, if Luke Skywalker becomes the old Luke Skywalker in the continuation of that story and passes on his knowledge to a young Ray, then yes, I, I think that we are all Luke Skywalker in a way. The parable of the puddle is a great way to think about that understanding of self. 
He says, this is rather as if you imagine a puddle waking up one morning and thinking, this is an interesting world I find myself in, an interesting hole I find myself in. It fits me rather neatly, doesn't it? In fact, it fits me staggeringly well. It must have been made to have me in it. This is such a powerful idea that as the sun rises and the sky and the air heats up and as gradually the puddle gets smaller and smaller, frantically hanging on to the notion that everything's going to be all right, because this world was meant to have him in it, was built to have him in it, so the moment he disappears, catching him rather by surprise, I think this may be something we need to be on the watch out for. The idea that we look for things like religion, things like creator myths to explain the the majesty of our individual life how we got here and how we might have a real skewed view because of our perspective of who we are douglas adams gave us this idea of maybe maybe the world's not a perfect place made just for us maybe we we're made to be in this world. And it, it's it's a way of thinking, a philosophy that I really take to heart. The one quote from this book that I have hanging in my classroom that, again, I did not know was from this book because it's been around for 20 years. He was giving a, a talk at a conference and he was talking about technology. And since I teach a technology class, this is relevant to my class. He said, I've come up with a set of rules to describe our reactions to technologies. Number one, anything that was in the world when you're born is normal and ordinary and just a part of the way the world works. Number two, anything that's invented between when you're 15 and 35 is new and exciting and revolutionary, and you could probably get a career in it. Number three, anything invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. I think that that is so true of our technology. I was so excited between age of 15 and 35 about new technology, new gadgets, new things, and, and thinking about how it could satisfy that piece of that problem being solved. And after 35, uh, I'm ready to, to chuck it all and <laughs> get in the van and go for a drive. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. I mean, that he put down, and we we actually discussed this before, um, and it talked about school. Many many people, if they finish their education at high school, college, graduate, whatever it was, where whenever you stopped your education piece, is when you stopped when when. Um, is where your information is stuck. So mm -hmm. as a person, I study economics, right? So I can keep up with the latest economic thinking. But if I, um, my last biology class was when I was in a college. So is my understanding of, I don't know, the natural order of things, whatever, stuck in a previous generation or two's mm -hmm. uh, background? And this is one of the real challenges with our education system is mm -hmm. that we don't always keep up with, you know, whatever 
the latest thought is. And you find it kind of thrown out there where people who are not involved in education make a lot of comments on how education is teaching things or people who are not involved in the medical sciences, you know, some, somehow uh, feel that they should have a lot of say in what they what goes on in an area that's not their expertise. And I think about this all the time in education because my education you know, my college years ended, you know, decades ago, and I'm teaching students for what they will need decades from now. That is a huge gap between my understanding of truth and their need for the future. But since you're in the education business, mm-hmm. or are you teaching them like they taught them when you finished college? On my mind is those truths from that time. Have I adapted over my career? Of course. Have I changed who I am over my career? Sure, of course. But does a young person walking into my school teach differently from the way that I teach? Yes, absolutely they do. That's because they have whatever the latest technology, mm-hmm. thought process or whatever, doesn't necessarily always mean it's you know right, but it is on you know the 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 bleeding edge mm-hmm. of of how information should be presented based on your um, specialty. Yep. Um, and so, you know, once again, think of all the areas that you're not involved in. Yeah, you know, no one's going to teach how to fix automobiles like they did back in the 50s. It just right. doesn't work that way. Technology's evolved. And, and whether we are keeping up with technology in education is a big question because that's, in, especially in public education, that has always been a big question. How far behind technology are we? And is staying on that bleeding edge economically correct? Should we be always on that edge? Our education system, being a person not in it, certainly was designed at a different time. The Industrial yes. Revolution and that seems to be an issue. There's so many other parts to that are bringing those challenges uh, as an outsider. But once again, how do you change that? And then the mm-hmm. apparatus that uh, has made that happen, will they allow those types of changes to be made? There seems to be the challenge of what we're dealing with today yes. uh, is objectively a person who was going to start that out would may may approach it in a different way. That is a, a thought that I have in school all the time. Is this the right thing for students? And if it's not the right thing for students, we should not be doing it. But those traditions, what do those traditions and that thinking from that other time, what does that bring to my classroom? That's what Douglas Adams brings in this book, is the idea of thinking, philosophy with a playful a playful joy and his writing has such a a tone to it is is kind of like a musicality to it that he has this rhythm that i enjoy so much and he talks so much about travel and how travel is so vital to our own stories and to our storytelling uh one of the the big events in this book he talks about is climbing kilimanjaro in a rhino costume somebody somewhere thought you know we need to raise awareness of rhinoceroses in africa let 
let's climb Kilimanjaro in an enormous, heavy, sweaty, ridiculous rhinoceros costume. And they said, let's bring the six foot five Douglas Adams along for this trip. And I, I just smile thinking of the, the pain and suffering of this silly man trying to get up this mountain in this heavy uh, costume made for stage performance. I love this book. I, I think that I will continue to just try to get as much thinking and knowledge from Douglas Adams as I can. Uh, it's sad that he passed away in 2001 and didn't get to see some of the great innovations that we've had since and some of the great comedy that we've had since. But The Salmon of Doubt from 2002 is a great tribute. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's lots of things going on. The University of Phoenix is a school that we know about, and they have sold their assets to the University of Idaho for $550 million. So we saw this happening a few years ago when the uh, the chancellor or the president of Purdue University bought Kaplan, which was a for-profit, Kaplan was a for-profit University. So Purdue University, a nonprofit, a state school in Indiana, bought that to have the technology to, um, I guess, bring Purdue University to the world. That's been very successful, certainly um, has offered a lot to lots of people. Now, the University of Phoenix, during the scandal uh, with for-profit education, which was it was designed as a for-profit school, it seems that they found their um I guess, their solution. And that's to have the University of Idaho purchase their assets, their technology, I guess, their locations, and they'll be able to offer the University of Idaho um, as the, uh, which is a, once again, a state school, nonprofit, they'll be able to offer that throughout the United States. That's kind of a big deal. These for-profit schools were started out to bring universities to the public um, to make the locations like in little office buildings and things of that nature. Um, the world is coming to you as opposed to you going to the university. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously it had some charged a lot and had a lot of scandals and people were questioning the degrees. It's it, it, the for-profit scandals certainly were questioning the value of that education is that the right way to do things and, and i don't know that we've come to a real answer for that well there's nothing uh, there's no problem having for profits situation i mean you can get what you need in having a company make a profit uh, it doesn't mean that Northwestern and, and, and Duke University and all these great universities are somehow the, um, uh, you know, just a, a gift to the world, although they are a gift to the world. Uh, but the challenge they were running into is they were charging a tremendous amount of money and they weren't necessarily offering either the uh, the skills needed for whatever degrees they were offering. And um they ran into a scandal situation that may be alleviated through being part of the University of Idaho. 
ESPN plans to stream their flagship channel and looking at the possibility of cable TV uh, going away or, or at least not being the same. Cable TV is not the same as it was. Cable TV, streaming TV, direct TV, satellite TV, they're all learn. They're all losing subscribers. People mm -hmm. are going to alternatives because of they become incredibly expensive. And so ESPN has been the anchor that has held many of these um, companies together. Uh, and so it is the most expensive of the channels being offered. I, I'm going to throw out, if, if you're paying 60 bucks a month for uh, some kind of streaming service, some kind of um, a cable service, uh, you're probably paying $10 or more for ESPN because sports are one of the few things that uh, draw in people to, to watch your service. If you mm -hmm. want to advertise and reach a large part of the population, you're probably using a sporting event to do it. I would say probably uh, the top 10 programs being uh, watched for the year are probably all sporting events. Uh, okay. Super Bowl being the, the, the number one, which has, you know, every year they announce how much money these companies are paying to be part of the Super Bowl. What they're looking to do is unbundle and this is what cable companies have been asking. Can we unbundle? ESPN has fought them. They said, we need to be part of your base plan. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that they're saying that their days are numbered. They're going to start looking at creating an app. You can buy it on a standalone service like HBO, like, um, like a Disney Plus, something of that nature. Let's see how that kind of plays out. How much is a population willing to spend for sporting events. And we've talked about this a lot. How many different standalone apps are you willing to pay for? The a la carte theory of this entertainment is great for me. I get to have the Star Trek channel and the Doctor Who channel. And, you know, the ESPN people, they want their sports. Well, what is happening, or what when you look at one of those services... All whether you value the sporting events or not, having the large amount of subscribers subsidizes mm -hmm. this happening. Correct. No, no one is truly paying the entire cost. Is a is a are you, is a person be willing to spend ten bucks, twenty bucks, thirty dollars a month to mm -hmm. have access to sports? And where I fear this is going to go is it's going to be like, hey, Steve, you can have access to all these sporting events if you're willing to go to uh, gamblingsite.com mm -hmm. to watch all these sporting events. And it yeah. just becomes a plug-in for gambling. So you watch your sporting events surrounded by gambling. I'm uh -huh. not really sure that's where I want things to go. I, I think we're I think we're gonna have a lot of problems with this later on i did not think of that but yes absolutely we're seeing so many more gambling ads since disney has become a part of that and uh and boy oh boy and disney owns part of one of those companies mm -hmm. so think i mean just imagine you you go your your child pulls up 
Now, listen, we're going to speculation here, but your child pulls out the app to watch the latest game, and underneath it is, hey, you can place a, a bet this quarter on mm-hmm. which running back has the most yards or who catches the first uh, uh, game ball or who, who wins the coin toss. And if you do that, you can watch the game for free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I, I like I said, I think this is – they, ha- I'm sorry, this, they being entertainment companies have really dialed in to what makes young people, or sorry, people react. Mm-hmm. And I fear, once again, this is going to be a real challenge. But this is me speculating on something. Right now, the idea is to unbundle and have a standalone app. Okay, I can see that. How about AM radio? Do we still need AM radio, Chip? Isn't that an interesting question? Um, Ford has announced that they're not going to have AM radio in their 2024 um, models going forward, their automobiles. It looks like that many of the electric vehicles have abandoned AM radio. Mm -hmm. AM radio is, the way it works is it bounces off the clouds. It works differently than FM Mm-hmm. Uh, it can go a long, long way. You know, you could think of it as an emergency service, mm-hmm. but also, you know, it's just, it's ancient technology. Should we be willing to abandon ancient technology for, you know, what more modern ways that we get information? Right. So a bipartisan group in Congress on Wednesday introduced the AM for Every Vehicle Act. The bill calls on the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to require automakers to keep AM radio in new cars at no additional cost. And that's that becomes that question. Is this technology really necessary for safety in an emergency situation? Or is it antiquated is this an old technology that has been replaced by all of the other ways that we get information really an interesting question i'm Mm -hmm. not really sure that congress should be making this decision the market could do that but i mean if the department of defense that's what i would say where where this could be important um if you were in ukraine am radio Mm -hmm. seems to be you you set up a tower and you can broadcast very simply over a large, I mean, you, people in, you know, uh, radio stations in Mexico could be heard in Chicago if they amped it up enough. It seems to be a pretty interesting way and cheap way to get information out to the public. We're not in situations like that most of the time. Right. Most of the time, people have cell phones available to them. Most of the time, uh, a FM radio signal would be enough if you use that. Many people use streaming now. I mean, think about that. Um, the emergency that would, you know, every once in a while you get an emergency um, notification through your phone, like, bap, bap, you, you're startled by it. Mm-hmm. We don't listen to radio that way anymore. The only time my students listen to the radio is in the car. And I, and when I say that, I don't know that I've asked my students in the last five years about whether they listen to the radio. I don't think that they even listen to the radio in the car anymore. I don't. So you, I, I stream. I get in huh. the car. My phone immediately at, uh, attaches itself to Bluetooth. And mm-hmm. I stream on my, you know, if I make a long drive, I stream. I stream down to the grocery store. Interesting. Yeah. So I, 
So I don't know the answer to the question of whether or not we need AM radio, but it seems to me like it would be a very simple way to get the word out in an emergency situation. Interesting. What about TikTok? Do we need TikTok? I, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> because it, no, I'm so Montana um, has outlawed TikTok as of next year, as of 2024. Mm -hmm. uh, Biden's administration has talked about getting rid of TikTok and has banned TikTok from being on any government phone. Mm -hmm. The idea is that TikTok is a Chinese company by, uh, by default because of how the um, um, Communist Party is set up and how the government is being run in China. It is a member of the state. TikTok argues it's not. It is a service. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure it's good precedent for the government to um, dictate what apps a person could use. But at the same time, I recognize that um Russia and China are unique entities. Um so anyway, I don't think that this is um I don't I, how do you enforce this? How does Montana that, that is, how does Montana say, you know, if you're a person in Montana, you can't have this, but as soon as you go across the border to Idaho, this is not California. This is Montana. In fact, how many people does Montana even have? And that is the first question that comes up in this discussion all week as I've been having this discussion. That is the first question is there's nobody in Montana. This is enforceable because there's so few people there. They can enforce geographic lock for things just like they do with gambling and with uh, media of all sorts. There are ways to geographically lock apps so that that okay. technology is there. So Montana has 1.1 million residents. Okay. Raleigh has more. <laughs> yes. Montana is the big sky. There's there's nothing much out there, but definitely not TikTok. There's 1.1 million people. That's a lot of people. But this is not 30 million people like California. So mm -hmm. if California said we're going to ban TikTok, that would be something. I'm sure... Um, that um, the the residents of Chicago, I'm sorry, Chicago. Yeah, let's use Chicago. The residents of Chicago wouldn't want Montana dictating mm -hmm. how they use technology. So until we get a state that has a larger uh, population saying something, this is just, I mean, it's just a story. My feeling, though, is it became maybe a political story because mm -hmm. didn't they have the balloon go over Montana? Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that was the catalyst of this. Uh, it is up to the senators of Montana to um, convince other members of Congress if this is important to yeah. to 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 join into this. But certainly, the uh, the governor is grandstanding a little bit. I think that this is a trial balloon to to make a pun that the nation you mentioned that the president thinks maybe TikTok might be a bad idea because of its connections. Maybe Montana is the first state and maybe we'll get further into a national uh, policy on this.
the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition came out this week, Chip. Uh, remember magazines? <laughs> We've talked a lot about old technology and publishing, and I read a lot about that in the Douglas Adams book this week. Martha Stewart is the cover model on Sports Illustrated this week. Well, they, they know their demographics, Dave. Aha! An 81-year-old swimsuit model might be the demographic of the people that are buying magazines in 2023. The idea of a 81-year-old, that baby boomer generation, is something that we've talked about quite a bit. That we, the Gen Xers, have been standing here waiting to be the, the ones in charge for so long, and, and we're full of 80-year-olds everywhere. Well, that's certainly fine. I mean, very few people buy magazines. They look to make headlines, and obviously we're discussing it. So, so be it. Good, good point. Good point. They they have succeeded in their marketing here because we are talking about it. Well, one of us wants to talk about it. One of these things is not like the other. It is Geek Pride Day, the glorious 25th of May coming up this week. Towel Day. Everybody, all you hoopy fruits, make sure you know where your towel is. And the celebration of the premiere of Star Wars on May 25th, 1977. Happy Geek Pride Day to all of my geeks out there. What fun it is. Love it. I love it. Then the next day, Friday, is my last day of school. Summer is in effect after Friday. Uh, see you suckers later. Once again, this is the, um, as we mentioned a long time ago, this is the first year that the kids may have had what many kids thought of as a traditional school year. Mm -hmm. It's been interesting. It's been a, an interesting transition back to whatever that word normal means and uh, seeing how these kids react to the, the concepts of education that we've been giving them for the last nine months. And vacation season begins, Steve. Um, this is Memorial Day weekend and uh, we get everything started. And obviously, uh, on Monday is Memorial Day. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of activities mm -hmm. in your communities. Yep. I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. We definitely can. I will sound very different in the summer. It'll be the summer next week. It'll sound very different. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're still on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We'll see you in the future, you hoopy fruits. <laughs>